With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the conversation. In this clip, I, Fars Value, will engage the lovely and talented media and historical narrative researcher Kay Hamad. Kay graciously agreed to answer some pointed and perhaps rather personal questions about what it means to be a Muslim and how she experiences being a Muslim in the United States in the year 2016. She agreed to this conversation at my suggestion, in part to satisfy my curiosity and, more importantly, to offer those who are interested a counterbalance to the often contradictory and misleading narrative that is created and distributed by the mainstream media apparatus. Although I have never met Kay Hamad personally, we have communicated in the virtual space of forums and electronic media. This is a far more in-depth level of acquaintance and familiarity than I have with any other Muslims, which is to say none whatsoever. This is certainly not by intention or design, as I can see my world and social circles being much enriched by knowing others such as K. Hamad, but I have yet to have the opportunity to cross paths in any significant way, or at all for that matter, with any other Muslim. So without further ado, I invite you to enjoy our rather informal exchange. Well, if it's getting late, do you want to do a little now and a little later? Sure, we can maybe uh, do some uh, some spitballing, I guess now maybe. Yeah. And if you and so I'll I'll give you maybe you can give me some more background and I'll give you uh, some of my background and what um what I don't know that my my motivation is on my own uh, I guess just curiosity more than anything, right? And obviously my my suspicion of the media and the stories that we're getting. And then I always like to have um, whatever I, I can get my hands on, I guess, to compare real-world experience with the the narrative that they're always feeding us, right? And it's a lot of times, I, I guess, it's different. And then a lot of times we have no way of verifying. So um, I spent, and I, I maybe I'll go over this on the recording. I think I, I can't even remember when I encountered like the first Jewish person that I ever met in my life. It was late. I want to say it might have been like in my 20s or late 20s or something when we moved to Miami, and there's a lot of Jewish people here. It's a big, big community. But like when I grew up in this small town in Louisiana, we didn't, there was no temple there. I never met any Jew. I never had any Jewish friends, no Muslim friends, Muslim. And Oh, that's another thing. Muslim, Muslim. What's the story with that? It's actually Muslim. <laughs> Oh, Muslim. Muslim. And but what about Mas M O S L E M? Probably what's that? Muslim. Probably that's a southern accent, maybe on it. It's, I think most people say Muslims. Muslims. That's M good. Uh, well, yeah. I would I would like to pronounce it Muslim. Muslim. It's a soft S with a, a long U. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Muslim. That's right. And but I have seen it spelled actually in print M O S L E M. So it's mm -hmm. um. 
Anyway, so I have no Muslim friends. Um, I have very little contact with anyone in the Muslim community. And since, uh, you know, we're connected through fakeologists and clues and what have you, um, you're probably the Muslim that I am most familiar with. And so I, nice. I wanted I like to reach out. That. <laughs> well, I, don't, I mean, I, really, it's sort of, it's just a big, not really a black box, I guess. But I, I will say that, um, you know, we get, there's always some sort of spin being put on. And I haven't uh, taken the the initiative and the effort to get a copy of the Quran and read it. And I, I've never really read the Bible cover to cover or the Talmud or Torah. I, I, I kind of, but you always see passages that people who want you to have a particular perception about these things will post, right? And they'll say, well, what about this? What about this and this particular book? And this means that these people want to do X, Y, and Z and what have you. Yeah. There's a lot of that in there, out there. And I mean, it applies to, I think, every, probably every, um, I'm not that familiar with like Hinduism and say whatever, the Eastern uh, Japanese, I guess they might be Hindu or Buddhist or whatnot, but I I don't know if there's that type of thing in those those texts, but it seems like there's always some sort of, uh, you know, one of those gotcha gotcha passages in, (laughs) in places, so... Um, but I, I do have a friend who was doing some work with a mosque locally. And when I, I told him kind of about this, he said, Oh, these people are great. It's like, they had such great food. He said, I actually put on some weight. They were always feeding me all this hummus and whatever the Middle Eastern things that they would put out at whatever events he was going to and then he he was also at one point sort of down on his luck and unemployed for a while and he was having a tough time financially and he, he lived close to a small um like a 7-eleven type place that was run by some muslim people and they let him have a tab for a while they're like hey get your groceries pay us when you get money it's fine Wow. And I was like, wow, that's like unheard of in this day and age from anyone, you know, like, mm-hmm. like so that, that kind of like, that's the sort of thing that you're probably not going to hear, you know, from any. And so we have this, um, you know, whole thing that's being going on with, I guess, the Syria and North Africa and the European and the refugees. And, and of course, I'm, I'm seeing none of that here. And so that's a big cause for concern for some people somewhere possibly if any of it's true i have no way of knowing and i do recall that you you said that you've asked around and you have some connections i guess with um some communities in in the middle east right and i guess um you have family or re- whatever your in-laws possibly that you know you'd asked around about if anybody's had any contact with isis and i guess the answer is probably still the same today, right? Is it, I don't know if you're still asking about that or not, but <laughs> I do. Like, the answer is still no. No one knows anyone who's ever blah blah blah. But so not ISIS. There's other things that they've participated in, you know, that's been in the media. But ISIS is not one of them. 
they don't ever see a caravan with the black flag and people hanging on to the back of trucks with their brand new assault rifles and their crispy new haberdashery. (laughs) (laughs) You know what they need to, who's printing those ISIS flags? You need to go to the factory in China and arrest them. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, and so we have all this NSA apparatus, but they're just like, tweeting at random and they're subverting all of America's youth and they're radicalizing people right and left over here because they're, they're social media wizards but well, did if, you, if you say anything on Facebook that offends anybody then you'll like they'll clamp down on you so fast but right ISIS gets away with it they have complete impunity to do whatever they want on all social media I mean it's clearly um, some intelligence organization because I went to their own websites and they said, oh, here's ISIS websites. And I went to these websites and I looked up their, um, what, what did you call that? Who is? And their WordPress oh. accounts. Uh, ISIS has WordPress accounts. Right. What's going um, on? And then there were a couple other. You find where those are, I guess. Right. There's a couple other hosted by GoDaddy. ISIS accounts? What? And even the intelligence agencies are saying, yeah, these are ISIS. Oh, yeah, but they just, there's no way for them to go through GoDaddy and find out what any of that stuff is. And that's another thing that I just find so kind of hilarious, these stories about there's, I mean, maybe it's possible, but any connection, I don't know how old your kids are, but I just, I'm just trying to picture what could motivate an American teenage girl to go like live in the desert and like leave all of her shoes and her phone and her connection with MTV and the possibility of getting a new car or whatnot and go like tramp around in the desert with some ISIS people. It just sounds really far fetched to me with my little contact that I have with my first cousins and whatnot, second cousins, whoever. All the children of my cousins that I know, the young girls seem like that would be like the farthest thing that would ever be from their mind was to pull up stakes and go live uh, primitively. <laughs> but um, what, have you any ideas about that? Can you imagine that <laughs> being remotely possible? Well, I, I'm trying to think of the motivation because I followed these same... Um, I think it was intelligence site group. You have, kind of have to go from one to the next to get all the different ISIS, you know, the, the, what they're calling ISIS websites and the ones that are supposed to be radicalizing Americans youth. It's just poetry. Well, yeah, I looked at that and I was like, I couldn't really understand. It was just too, like, it's basically too simple. I mean, <laughs> is this the, <laughs> Because the way the media makes it sounds, it's like this, this sophisticated campaign. It's like just a simple page of text with some poems. Like, I've, okay. And who? Are, who's the author? So these, these girls like quit listening to uh, Kanye and whoever the uh, Drake and Meek Mill, and they just read this poetry, and they're like, "Oh, I'm I'm giving all this stuff up. I'm I'm all done with this." This Western nonsense and materialism and all this cool stuff. I'm going to go 
go tramp around in the sand. Because that's some damn fine poetry, I guess, right? <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah, yeah, I would say, I would say so. I mean, because in order to go from single syllable chant type material to to reading that, oh, there goes my phone. It's dying. But I guess kind of what I I wanted to really um, kind of get at in the conversation is say what. Um, like a, well, like a day-to-day type uh, experience that you would have, uh, just being a Muslim in the, a Muslim in the West. Like, um, when, and is it, uh, I don't know if you, do you encounter, I mean, and, and of course now you, you're, more of a western heritage i guess right um oh yeah yeah from, I'm, so you yeah you may have light eyes and, and what i don't I i've got blue hair and blonde eyes <laughs> Careful. so you may not get the same sort of i mean if if people i i'm i don't know about i'm so insulated i guess i mean i my wife is dominican and she sort of has a um, sort of an amalgam of physical features. That are, she has some relatives in her gene pool that are, um, you know, Asian, and then she's Latin, and but then she sort of has um, kind of you know more nappy hair. Like her hair could go crazy frizzy pro she wanted to and but her and so she people and they they always ask her especially the the white people was where are you from which is code for like you know what kind of race are you because they can't figure it out and everybody wants to know you know like so there's this whole and she gets a little bit annoyed with that um it's it's i don't think it's it's not really like a a a prejudging type of thing, but it, she's just annoyed with the, the, uh, like the study, like people just looking so closely. Like if you're, uh, sort of more typical looking, whatever the, the Western tribe, a John Smith type person, then you don't get that level of scrutiny. And then, but at the same time, if you're actually African or probably Asian and people can put you into a box quickly, then you don't get it either. Well, <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> so, so it's like, and I, so being, although when, if, like, if we go to a Latin restaurant and, cause I'm, I have dark hair, but I have green eyes. So we can go with her. And if they address her and she speaks Spanish, people, they'll, and I, I know a few phrases and I can, I have a pretty good accent with the words that I say. So. Like they'll start addressing me in Spanish, like I'm Latin, and I'm like, "Oh, oh wait a minute, <laughs> whoa oh, there, <laughs> slow, slow down a little bit," <laughs> because it, I ran out of my, you know, my espeque pretty quick already, and so, you know, it's like I, I just don't really, I don't have the sort of um, tendency to look at people as, is, I don't need to. Um, label them and box them and stuff. And so I don't know what, what it's like. And I, I don't, I, I don't know if my, my wife or 
I don't know. She she doesn't. I don't. I don't know how. I think she would. She feels pretty comfortable. I think there's probably some places that she she feels more comfortable, like here in Miami, when there's just such a huge international mix that to go to some place, maybe like Nebraska or something, she might feel like that she was too much of a an anomaly to be comfortable. But it's like I have no real experience with. Um, I just don't think about what it's like to go through the world and, and have to feel like people are uh, judging you as different or, or having a negative reaction based on like your appearance or something. So I don't know if you experience that sort of thing or, um, you know, if you do, what's that, what's that like, or your family, if you're, I think you said maybe something that your, your kids may have had some issues or something. I think it's, you may have, I saw you post something about, or heard you talking about it once. You did a podcast, didn't you? Like, um, about something. Was it your, the, the, your family and your the family dynamic? I can't remember exactly what it was. Oh, no, it was just, I think someone had, um, God, I can't remember now. I just, once I spill it out my brain, it just goes sometimes. Um, I think someone assumed something about ISIS and Islam. And then my daughters were like, that's not who we are at all. You know, like hearing people bash Muslims. That's the idea. So when you hear people bash Muslims, my kids are like, that's not us. That's not me. That's not anyone I know. And then they feel sad. People are thinking so bad about their culture for no good reason. Do they do, they do it openly, like in front of them? Usually it's Facebook. It's, let's be honest, it's Facebook. Oh, yeah, it's pretty easy to do that. Facebook. Yeah, that's a whole. That's a thing unto itself. Um, but then there's there's like ignorant teachers. Also, they'll hear them think they understand the media and you know things like that. Also, like, do you want to be in Iran? Thank God you're not in Iran, where you'd get whipped twenty times a day for doing one thing. It's like, Did, have you do that in Iran? What the hell are you talking about? Have you been following uh, Icy Freely? Some of his posts. He posted some pictures and videos. I guess he grew up in Iran. I say, I say he. I don't know whether he's oh, is I he Persian? He. I don't know. I think his parents may have been there on some kind of you know, business or assignment. But I think he spent a pretty substantial part of his life and I, I don't know that he is of Persian descent. I'm going to say no because I think he returned to maybe America or Britain. Mm. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, he had posted some pictures and videos and I've seen them before. There's like phenomenal pictures of Tehran and stuff. It's just a you know, like a completely It's a sophisticated city. I mean, they're sophisticated people. Let's, I mean, they read, they're educated, they like the arts, you know, they have a very rich culture in Iran. So to, to uh, think that do these guys run around in sandals is absolutely. And, and you, 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 and you've been there, right? You're speaking from experience. I, I mean, is, not Iran. Can you just pick up and go there? Can, is it, or is it like Cuba? Is it a problem? Like, um, well, you know, Rick Steves went to Iran. You know, who's this? Rick Steves, you know, the traveler. He works for PBS and he does commentary. Mm. I don't know. Rick I, Steves, Europe. Sounds... Welcome to Rick Steves, Europe. Hi, 
I'm Rick. Oh, oh yeah, I've 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 read some of his posts on the, the internet about you know various traveling things, but I haven't really watched the show. Or oh, he's so awesome! You know, he's when my son graduated from Evergreen, he was the key, the speaker. Oh, cool! It was, and he talked about it too. It was amazing. If you want some truth, he talked about how he had planned to go to Iran because things were heating up in the media. So he really wanted to go there, and because he'd been there, he was wanted that he knew about it. He wanted to dispel all those disbeliefs about it. But you know, the media had their program going. They didn't want to be interrupted. So they called him. They're like, if there are a bunch of different companies like the Annenberg Foundation and all these groups, they said, if you go to Iran, we're going to cut your funding. Wow. And guess what? He went to Iran and they cut his funding. But you know, wow. you know what? He found other contributors. So in the end, he's, he's, he's okay. He withstood that. But that was a big deal. They were pissed he went to Iran. Oh, so he he did like a like a Adam and John. He's like, well, I'm not gonna have these sponsors telling me what I can do. I'll I'll get my own contributors and I'll go see what I want to see. Right, but you know, PBS kept him. They let him go. They didn't stop him. They just oh oh so so but they they lost some sponsorship right because, because of, of it. Yeah. But they pressured him too, and the company he said they didn't want him to go, but he said in the speech he said there are you could probably find it. I bet it's transcribed. He says there are evil people in this world, and they will do evil on you to benefit themselves, and you always have to watch out for them. Do you believe he said that? Well, I mean, it's kind of it's pretty disingenuous to think otherwise. I mean, well, as we <laughs> we know only too well, but it's it's um. Yeah, I've been involved in a kind of, uh, I got sucked back into a thread over on the, the Free Domain site um, where I've, I've been posting some stuff. And actually one of the uh, one of the members or posters over there recognized, because um, I had done a, I sort of, I, I gave my FDR handle on Clues Forum and then they connected it. Like, I can't believe you're posting over here. Because I was about ready to, to call it quits because that's the that's supposed to be a philosophy site over there. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Stefan Molyneux and his his nonsense, which that should so so he's so on target about some things, but some things he's just so completely. Uh, I don't know if naive. I don't. I'm. St I don't know where I stand on the whole shill idea thing, but you know, people may just have their blind spots about stuff, but. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're just completely um, what's the, incapable of grasping the idea that uh, news could be uh, created and not uh, passive observance of things like it, it's just never, I guess, never occurred to any of them that um, peop that news that the purpose of it could be more about disinfo than informing people. Which I've, I've come to the conclusion that they, they need to put enough information out there to make it, uh, credible. But then its actual purpose is not to inform, it's to, to steer. Mm. You know, to, That's perfect. That's it. It's to steer. They're steering us. That's exactly it. So, um, yeah, I probably, um, I don't want to, I'm kind of looking at my, what did you think of my list of questions? Are they too 
in like invasive on like a personal level or is it um i don't I didn't want to be too like prying too much it i guess it's you know from like i said from my perspective it's sort of um I probably wouldn't ask these questions to someone I had just met, I guess. It might be a little too intrusive, I guess. But then it's more like in the terms of general information as far as people like, well, when you see the girl in the bank in the hijab, I'm probably mispronouncing that horribly. No, that's um, great. Good job. Yeah. That's great. Um, you, you, you don't want to have a misperception because it's more, there's more likely that she's probably got a lot more in common with you since she's actually uh, putting in her time <laughs> for a paycheck. That's is which is where most of us are as opposed to somebody sitting in a think tank or in a boardroom or in some smoky office on Capitol Hill plotting and planning. And, um, you know, maybe maybe we should kind of familiarize ourselves with what how these other people that we're hearing so much about and fearing, um, you know, what what their experience of um, how their relationship with uh, I guess, and that's another thing too. Is I don't know if it. I don't think. Is being a Muslim, and I don't know if I asked this question, does it, you think it shares any similarities with, say, Judaism and how integral it is to your life? Like, like a, a Catholic person, I think, a lot of, I think that maybe one of the attractions to the Catholic religion is that it's not really part Every life, unless you, you, when you walk by a cross, you genuflect, and on Sundays you, you go to confession, and, and then the rest of the time you're pretty much off the hook. Yeah, you don't think about it too much, probably. Um, but I think, like, say, in, you, it's hard to meet, um, like a, a Jewish person without probably, um, having it come to your attention that they're Jewish fairly soon after you meet them, I think. There'll be something. And then, like, depending on what, uh, if they're orthodox or, like, like the guy I work with, he, he has a joke. He's like, oh, when I turned 13, I got out of the business. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and so, and I, I it's so funny because I'm always talking to him about all these, like, high holy days and the, the, the Shemitah and all that. He doesn't know anything about any of this stuff. He's like, yeah, whatever, you know, I go to temple on the high holy days and, and that's it. And, uh, I don't think, I don't think his, he cares that much whether his daughter marries someone out of the faith, but it is a lot more like, to have the whole lineage thing to like be like if your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish forever, no matter what. And then you might, you might convert, but I don't think you're going to have as much of a status. And, and it seems to me, it's a little bit confusing as to whether it's a race or religion. And, and it's kind of like more uh, tied into their, the fabric of their lives, say than like, uh, a Christian religion where people can just kind of put it on and off at will. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So how do you think that, um, 
Muslim people are more, is it more integrated into their, their lives on like a minute by minute basis as far as, or, um, you know, does, is that something that you would want to aspire to if you were to be observant in the best possible sense or is it, something that really doesn't occupy that much of your attention or is there, is there like guilt associated with it? Like there is in Christianity. Um, well, I think they just, the whole idea first, just to back up a bit, I think, you know, to, to engage in some religious thing every day and like for any religion, I don't, I think it's more culture. I mean, we call it religion, but it's, you know, people aren't thinking holy. I think, I think it's an integrated cultural practice. You know, we can call it religion, but I think you're just with the cultural group, really. You know, because, I mean, they share the same belief, but God, these practices are tough to do if just on belief. So like with Islam, if you're going to be a good Muslim, you're supposed to pray five times a day. Oh my God, a ton of people do it. They just weave that little practice right into their life. And I did it for a long time myself. But so how, how did this, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but how, I'm curious, how did you manage that? If you're so you like at school, would you just find, find a place and just, um, work it around your schedule at school? Was it like, I imagine that would, if, if you were going to try to observe, at, at that level, that would probably be very uncomfortable. I, I would think. Like, well, you get brave. If you, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you, you learn <laughs> to get brave because you have to be like, uh, "Hey, hey, boss, can we bar that conference room at 10 a.m. every day?" Just to pray. There's a couple of us here that are Muslims. No one's using it. There's boxes in it, and the boss will be like, "Sure, go ahead." And that's oh yeah, kind of what happens. Like at work and at school, they. Schools are all accommodating. They find a place. They're already set up for that. The most I mean, it's because it's, you're not creating a ruckus. Right? Well, <laughs> you're just like quietly in there. And and is it is there like a? I guess you you, you can't. Uh, you wouldn't be able to do it longer than what uh, like it's not like a prescribed length of time. Or is there a, a, a like a passage or something that you? So you, there's five prayers a day. Okay, and then the first prayer is usually in the morning before sunrise. The second prayer is in the afternoon, like around noonish, and then the third prayer is a little later than that. The last, the fourth prayer is at sunset, and then the very last prayer is a couple hours after sunset. And it only takes five minutes. You know, you have to make wudu before you pray, and wudu is you wash your hands and your face and your feet. And behind your ears or your forehead like that. And you clean your mouth out. That's what do you're clean. Your voodoo's broken. If you go potty, you know, something like that. Then you have to remake voodoo. <laughs> so plan your voodoo is what I'm telling you. <laughs> that's no, that's, those are all good, healthy practices. I have no, no problem they do with that. any of that sort of thing. Yeah, right. It's healthy. It's good. You're clean. You're washing everything. So these dirty ISIS people, I'm like, nope, you're not Muslim, you're dirty. Because <laughs> real, real Muslims are, if they're religious, they're cleaning all the time. And then, so then the prayer, it's only five minutes. You know, they do, they stand up and bend over and stand up and then kind of kneel and put their head on the ground. And so there's, mm -hmm. they, they have to do a, a certain set of those. 
And then in between those, they say like a verse from the Quran, maybe. Well, yeah, there's a certain, but I mean, that's the general idea. And so I guess now do people, and I'm kind of getting more into our, our talk, I guess. So I might want to say some of this because I don't know if um, I have enough time to, to go through all of it, but well, maybe I could, I could clip it and combine things, I guess. Um, cause uh, I'd hoped for it to be a little more formal, but I know um, I'm sorry with my time, well, but you know, well, putting, that's, putting these together, it's, it just, just seems to be how they are. We just kind of fit them in when we can. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and it's, it's not a problem and I'm, it's not a complaint. It's, um, and it's real life. That's what real life is. Man, don't we know it, huh? Yeah, spitting out um, those shows like a, like a machine, that's not real life. I'm sorry. That's not, no. Well, I, you know, it's, it's funny. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy about the, the no agenda show is that I, I come from a production environment. So like, it's kind of what like my job is, is. I'm always doing in the backstage and in, in the production booth or, and so when Adam, like he does all that inside baseball about the production, it kind of just tickles me because I, it's so, it's so clear. It's like, uh, you know, hitting me so close to home. And I, I really respect the way that he's able to, to manage that by himself. You know, he's, I think it's, I just have a, a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm kind of impressed with the way that he's able to, to be so on, on top of the, the production aspects and, and I think it probably would be really, really hard for people that aren't pretty uh, familiar with that world to be able to make make that happen at, at that level. But I, I think it's a good uh, a good thing to aspire to. Um, uh, I don't necessarily find it suspicious, but you know, Adam Curry. Well, I mean, I don't find the fact that it's got a high production value suspicious. Now he may be suspicious due to his, his uncle and and whatnot, but <laughs> you think? You know what? I caught him reading. John is so funny. You can tell when he's reading because he he miss says the the weirdest words in the weirdest spots. <laughs> so funny. Oh, I don't. I I just I I I kind of take it with a, a grain of salt. I mean, I, I, Dvorak cracks me up. He just I think he's got a real oh sort of so entertaining, uh, aren't they? vector sense of humor that comes out of weird places that just, you know, and he's kind of, he's got that sort of traditional old man sort of like, or from a different age almost that. So yeah, I really, have you ever listened to, um, Prairie home companion? The, it's yeah. It's, um, that's a great show. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like when, when, um, he, he, quits that show that'll be there will never be anything like that again it's just that hearkening back to that old style and i think i kind of see a little of, of that in dvorak and stuff yeah but um let's see and you kind of you sort of touched on something that i i guess we, we're going to go further into about um oh yeah it was like so the levels of observance so do you have like is is everyone that's going to say that they're a Muslim and, and like 
a lot of, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really religious anymore. My, my, my family, I grew up in, in a Southern Baptist family and a lot of them are still very religious and attend church and they're evangelical. So in the evangelical Christian community, they have a, um, a, a mission, a, what's the word? Um, a requirement, sort of a response, responsibility or something to save the, the sinners, right? They have to, they have to convert people to save them from the fiery furnace of hell and whatnot. So a lot of the, a lot of the Christians that are really, um, in that, at that level of commitment are going to be actively out there you know, preaching and putting themselves out there. And then there's sort of another level where they're going to, you might understand that they're Christian and they have particular uh, responses maybe to, <laughs> I'll, I'll call it the unseemly, um, that they might, they might get an understanding that they're, they're Christian because they have a, a particular negative response to certain things, but they're not actively preaching. Mm -hmm. Then you might have other people where if they don't say anything about it, you probably won't really have much of an idea about where they're coming from, you know? And so, and also like, like I was talking about, you know, my friend, he said when he was 13, he left, left the business, but at the same time I can leave work and drive out and I see people with the, the ringlets and they're wearing a broad brim black hat and it's July and they have full black long coat and, and pants and, and I'm sure that they have different, uh, crockery for dairy and meat and whatnot. So they're, that's a strict level of observance, right? So does the same thing sort of apply in the, the Muslim world or will Will they suffer, the people who aren't as observant, will they suffer any sort of social discomfort from from others who are? From my experience, the, I would say the regular, like, go to church once a week Christian is equal in Islam to, like, the pray five times a day. Yeah, I've kind of lost... Um, a lot of volume all of a sudden. Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. So the go to church once a week Christian is equal to the pray five times a day Muslim. That's the difference there. That's, that's about the same. So how most people in America are this way, you know, like once a week, but I mean, not most, but a big hunk probably. I don't know. How many Americans do you think go to church once a week? Gosh, that's... I don't really know. I would say, I'm going to guess at least a third. I, I don't know. I was thinking I, I, of a third, a, too. Catholics, and, and they have these mega churches, which are sort of, they're kind of non-denominational, but they're still Christian in a way. And there's, I mean, I, I think the, the last time I read, it was like 3,200 different Christian sects. And so we usually think of just the big ones, the Catholics, Baptists, whatnot, but. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that go at least once a week. Maybe once and then some fellowship activity. 
you know. So they're involved really? with the community mostly. That's what I'm seeing. Really? Do you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as my family goes, uh, they, they're pretty – a lot of their social relationships revolve around their church relationships as well. Right. So it's not necessarily in a formal way, but they, they just have a, a tendency to sort of um, – it's gel, I guess, with one another yeah. through, through their relationship with the church. But see, the, I mean – that's my idea about it being just really tradition and culture, not really religion. Because it's such a tight cultural bond that everybody has. They share all the same things and, you know, there's so much nice fellowship in churches and in mosques and in um, synagogues. It's the best social group for, don't you think? Uh, well, I was I, I was never really that comfortable in the church environment. Um, I don't know I why. I see students, I guess. Maybe that's what I'm going off of. I see them real involved. Churches are having so many fun activities these days. You want to go to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there were times when I had, I mean, I, I, there, I, had, ish, I had just issues with the now the evangelical church it's a lot of, and this is another thing that I'm un, unaware of about what Muslims or the Islam I guess has to say about hell and whether that's a part of it but the church that I grew up in was that was like you know, it's very carrot and stick oriented right so they they used a lot of fear to motivate people to do I guess Whatever, you know, and I never could quite understand. And that was a problem for me, too, when I was young. It was, they, they had very dramatic and frightening pictures of this eternal hellfire and brimstone scenario. And the prescription for that was to accept. And so as a kid, I was like, well, what is this acceptance? That's like, I can't quite get like how I do that exactly because it's so internal and specific and there's no real prescription and I could see other people that I thought maybe they were getting it and what if I'm not getting it then I'm going to be in hell forever oh that's just so frightening <laughs> and so forever. and it wasn't yeah forever I mean forget death you know you think you no that's nothing that's just getting started that's just the start of this eternity thing and yeah it was very very frightening so I never I kind of wasn't really comfortable with that. And of course, there's, I guess that's probably why there's so many different sects, because there's a lot of different t interpretations of all those, you know, those texts. And then you, you go a little further and you find out, well, no, that these, these people, they're misinterpreting that, because that's not what they were talking about at all. That's a whole new thing that didn't come along until the 1800s or 1200 or whatever. So, that was, you know, that's one of the reasons I probably didn't really feel comfortable. I was like, oh, this is just too, it's too frightening. And, yeah. and they kind of, kind of like they, so we have the seven deadly sins or whatever. And it's like a lot of the stuff that you're naturally going to be drawn toward anyway. You know, <laughs> ap appetites. Right. And the, uh, that's the rub right you, there, man. Give us something, you know, we're going to do and make it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And then 
you got a lot of fearful people running around. So, but there was a lot of fun that was involved in it too. And I think maybe, I guess depending on where there's like some, some churches, they don't, they don't really teach that. And it's just more about, it's a little more allegorical and more about just love and getting together. And, you know. and uh, we were involved in that not, not too long ago for a while. But then we ended up, you know, being confronted with just whatever dysfunctional personalities that can happen anywhere and probably do across all walks of life. So. Right. But I was, you know, what I was going to say too is my, my parents, so they moved around a lot and we lived in, um, they lived in a few different countries. Um, and, you know, whenever we, they would move and when I was with them, we moved. It wasn't like that we went to like seek out the, the Christian community. That wasn't really kind of like, um, I think probably we just ended up hanging out more with people that my dad worked with since it was his job that was moving us around and, and, or our neighbors or whatever, you know? So it was like that became our community. It was just sort of the people we were close, close to through work or, or physically. And then that was always fine. I guess if we, and he actually, he was doing some work in, um, wow, why can't I remember this now? Gaddafi, Gaddafi land. Libya? <laughs> Libya, yeah. And, uh, cool. He was, he was talking about sort of getting caught up in some kind of riot or something at some time and he was stuck out in, in the middle of the city because they had quarters where they were sort of, I don't, I don't know if it was an embassy and, he didn't know what it was about, but he was thinking it was some death, death to the great Satan type thing going on. And he was kind of frightened by that, but then they were, they were able to extricate themselves or whatever. So it didn't, didn't have any, um, he didn't suffer any real negative effects from that. So, but yeah. Um, so I guess, um, I want to probably, I, I think I've done a lot of talking. So, oh, here's one of, um. Oh, you know what? I think so, we have something to finish. You asked, do, do most, do, how do Muslims proselytize or do they proselytize? Well, yeah, there's a bunch of, a bunch of questions and it is that now that's, well, they don't. Is, does, just, does that have anything to do with the, the jihad? What's all this jihad business? Is that is that a metaphorical thing, or is it has to do? There's no proselytizing, right? So they, right. it's not they, like they they, they don't. want to see the whole world become Muslim. No, they don't. That's <laughs> the thing. They don't proselytize at all. They don't want anyone to become Muslim. So. So it's it's all it's all a script. It's a media script that they're saying, and it in no way reflects reality whatsoever. Muslims, if they want other, what they do is if someone has left the church and not become religious, they go on something called khuruj, and so they just you know they go to the they go to all the guys who left the mosque or whatever, yeah, who stopped you know being religious, and they just try to convince them with. You know, citing Quran verses and Hadith 
what a good thing it is if they could be, you know, start coming to the mosque again. But they don't go out and get Christians or Hindus or Jews and try and no, they don't. They've never done that. What about the death threats? Is there? That's what we, we've. That'll be one of the things that comes to mind for for the Western people is that oh, if you leave, if you leave Islam, they're gonna they're gonna find you and kill you for becoming <laughs> an infidel or whatever. Right? Yeah. No, no, nobody cares. Who's gonna? Who's the organization gonna kill you? Now it's it's to all. Me, about, it sounds like a lot of trouble, you know. Yeah, it's it's mostly about shame. I mean, the hell, yeah, there's hell, but shame, shame. You don't shame yourself. Don't shame yourself. It's all about shame. Islam is about don't shame yourself. That's really what it is. That's that's the that's the scare that keeps everyone in line. Oh, I'll be shamed if I do that. I can't do that. I'll be shamed. And well, that's an interesting thing now because. What do is there any sort of shame attached to is attached to debt? Do you, you have any any sort of um relationship that's different than like Western people where debt is concerned or usury or any of that sort of thing? Does that have right. like would the, what would that mean? Would that mean you don't have a credit card or? Well, like in the Middle East, no one has to think about money because the banks all use a fine system. I mean, globally, they use interest, but they with the local population, they, they it's like fees. That's how they make up for interest in banking with fees. Okay. And it's a schedule and things. You can borrow money and, you know, things like that. But and save money, you save by fees. So they don't even think about it. It's not till they come to America that they realize. Well, and they do know about it, by the way, because the Arab governments are like, America's so bad. They use interest. You guys are so awesome. You don't. There's this guy in the media they, they hear in their countries. You guys are awesome. Your women don't walk around in bathing suits like, like here in America. But they do. Even Middle Eastern women do. They go to beaches and wear bathing suits. So, but so, on the news, there they, you know, I guess they must be appealing to the poor religious people <laughs> instead of the general population. Well, I talked to some people that were in Miami um, last week, and they they come from Amsterdam, and they were. You know, I was I asked them, well, what's going on over there? With the, are you feeling any pressure from the the refugee situation and? And they didn't have anything very specific, but their ideas about they did mention the debt thing, and that it was and I can't remember. And then they said, I said, well, what about the the misogyny and the women? And one of the guys said, well, to the Muslim men, the women are like dogs. And I'm like, really? Is it? That sounds pretty extreme. He's like, no, 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 no. You you love your dog, but you would never. Expect your dog to make any decisions about how you're running the house or something. It, like, you know, I was like, I don't know. I, that sounds a little far-fetched to me. I mean, a little, it sounds kind of brutal in a way. And so that I had, I had some, the misogynistic question because I think that I would, to me, that would be so completely foreign to, to think that I would, um, and I, that's just another thing too. I guess you, you were, since you were talking about your daughter, whether there's arranged uh, marriages and st- 
I think I had, I knew, I've known people in this country who have a pretty close connection with having been family members of something, been involved in arranged marriages, but I don't know if that's, has anything to do with any particular religion. But well, the, what is, yeah, what is that sort of, you know, the misogynistic conceptions that people may have about not having any rights in the family and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, so arranged marriages, you know, it's not like in the movies. When my daughter is born, she will marry your son. You know, it's not like that. <laughs> that doesn't happen. I mean, you know, I, people speculate, oh, look, they're so cute playing together. Wouldn't that be fun if my daughter married your son one day? Just like Americans do, you know. And so the whole arranged marriage is, I mean, what kind of network do you have to get married? What kind of network does your community have to hook up young people so that they can start a healthy family? So it's more like matchmaking, I guess. Yeah, it's just matchmaking. It's an, and you know what? Mm-hmm. Americans, you're lucky if you're part of a church for your matchmaking. Otherwise, you got to date a bunch of dudes and screw a bunch of guys and to figure out if they want you or not. Seriously, the American dating scene is brutal on women. You know, it's brutal on men too. Matchmaking is much better ideas, much healthier. What, what, what do you think? How does the success rate compare? It's great. Yeah, they already know. They already know each other, mostly from the community. But if if they don't, you know, they know of each other. You already know. Is that the type of person I want to marry? Sure. Yeah. I know what he does. I know he's involved in this thing right here, and he plays soccer once a week. So yeah, I like that. I would imagine the success rate for you know the longevity of marriages to be much higher in that type of situation than like the, whatever the completely random, or we're just going to go meet somebody in, yeah, you go, in college or at a bar or whatever. And, yeah, and you meet a few people. It's just not like you just, you know, get your ticket and you're done. There's a lot of interviewing that goes on. You know, when, and, when they have kids meet each other for the first time for this idea. And you know what? Chances are they already know each other. They've been out dancing together. They met up, you know, like regular teenagers. They do regular teenage things. So there's not going to be a situation probably where a girl is going to be forced into a marriage against her will to some guy because her father wants her to marry this guy for whatever reason. She has no choice and she's just going to be languish in this as a prisoner in this marriage for the rest of her life. Yeah, I'm sure that happens in every community. Every community. If it if it makes the dad have some benefit, sure. Then the, if he's already an abusive person, yes, his children are at risk and they were probably always at risk from him. But that would be in any community for that kind sure. of icky person. And the parents always... And I don't know that it's... Maybe it's not perceived to be as powerful, but if a, a parent is going to say, well, if you marry so-and-so, then you know, you're not my daughter anymore, or whatever, I, I forbid you to marry person X and we'll write you out of the will, or whatever they're going to use to show their, um, you know, their disapproval, it's probably just as powerful um, is whatever the inverse would be for, you know, in another situation. So I don't know that it's that different, probably. It's like any other, right? 
any other person, any other parent that has a strong opinion in any place on this globe is going to probably have certain ideas. But I, generally speaking, I would say it's um, the, the, the religious severities decreases that the more money people have, the more money Muslims have, I noticed. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, yeah, and I would say, well, it probably just puts them more uh, in alignment with whatever the um, the business protocols are going to be, right? And I think that if if you're going to be at a particular level of trade, whether it's through your skill set or if you have a business or something, it's there's probably going to be less opportunity for you to be um, very rigid about things that maybe aren't going to be able to integrate with the business community mm. regularly, right? So that it's going to cost you. Yeah, it's going to cost you money. That's right. And I would, uh, you know, I would imagine that that you know, people are. Gosh, the world over, I would imagine that the the more money you have, the more you're able to be insulated from challenges and violence and what whatnot. I, I don't I don't see that as being particularly different anywhere. Although it does seem like there's more stigma about it over here than other places I've been, or mm-hmm. you know. It's just, it seems like there's, there's other places where people are able to, um, I don't know, get, I'm not going to say get by, but have, to thrive on, with less money, I guess, to have rich social and environments and not be so preoccupied with, um, and I don't know if that's, I think it's maybe just due to probably, the media, I'm going to say, that people are so taken in by advertising over here and the celebrity worship and stuff that if you don't, if you're not able to emulate that lifestyle to some degree, then you're less somehow. And in other places I've been in my life, it seems people are just more connected to the, the real world. But, of course, I'm... Talking places like Thailand and I guess like tropical places and stuff. So maybe it's, maybe if you get in like severe climates, the real world isn't all that great. I don't know, but it's like, you know, it seem, they seem to have more, uh, more of a rich experience, which is being able to connect with five sense reality than trying to, to emulate this virtual reality that we're so inundated with over here. Mm-hmm. So, and um, I'll, I'll ask you one more question, and this is kind of kind of personal, and there's probably some other things that uh, maybe if you want to do this again, that would be awesome, because I'm, I'm enjoying this. I hope mm-hmm. it's not too, uh, <laughs> not being too intrusive, and this is going to be intrusive, but what sort of um, problems do you foresee if your daughter marries outside of the faith? What's that going to mean to what is there an immediate uh, 
issue that you're going to have, or is it something down the line? Do you worry about how the children might, you know, there might be some issue with that, or what? what is it that you see that that's going to create a problem if it's... And it doesn't have to be about you, but it could be in just you could say about anybody in general if they they see their their child marrying outside of the faith. It's shame. It's still shame. Still shame. That's it. She will bring shame upon our family. So and so there there is and then so there is some um I guess we would it would almost be like well, I won't call it reverse the prejudice or whatever, but the, the shame is coming from the fact that um, that their fiance or betrothed, whatever, is not a Muslim, right? So there's some negativity within the Muslim community toward people outside if if they um, one of their part of their community decides to go, you know, that way, then, then, then so they're going to get some backlash from within the Muslim community. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's a, so it, it yeah, can work both ways. Right. It's not, mostly it's the fear of the, the woman that if she marries a non-Muslim, then he won't raise the children Muslim. And so that's the biggest deal. So it's like if you're, if the daughter marries outside her faith, they can just basically say goodbye to it all. Sorry, you're because she's basically leaving the community at this point. And then that's sad to everyone because they love her very much and they want her to stay. But is it, are they going to shut the door? I, I mean, so if she, so if she, well, see, because this is an issue too with a lot of, a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of time it comes down to how the children are going to be brought up. Right. So if, if they're, the person marries outside of the faith, are they going to be still welcome within the community to come around for whatever? I don't know if, um, you know, I guess it's, there's going to be a different set of holidays, right? There's going to if they marry someone that celebrates Christmas and there might be some conflicts and where are they going to spend the holidays and all that sort of thing. Right. So that's obviously a separation, but if, if your fear if the fear is that you will lose them to through um, like a disconnection, they'll drift, right? Mm-hmm. You won't. Be, so that's sad, obviously. But if they don't, is it a, is it still a problem? It's awkward. Yeah, it's awkward. But I mean, like for my daughter, I guess she could still go anywhere she wanted. No one would even care. Go to any mosque, go to any function. No one's going to say anything. It'd all be very kind. In fact, our, our social group is very friendly. It's, there's um, probably uh, there's 50 Muslims invited to my daughter's wedding. Probably 25 might not attend. Hmm. Because you know why? They have daughters and they're afraid. They're like, oh my God, I don't want my daughter to marry. Oh. <laughs> Right, right. That's pretty much the only reason. But we have lots of friends who they're they're like, whatever. I work with this doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of Muslims who are like, this is not even important to me. And you know what they say? Inshallah, one day maybe he'll become Muslim. That's what they say. Inshallah, one day. 
It, it would as Chala, no. Oh, God willing. Oh, okay. Yeah. All, right. All right. Oh, that's that's great. That's uh, I, I got to remember that uh, that word. All right. So, well, um, this has been really fascinating, and I'm I also I, I want to give you a uh, what's the word? A high five, kudos, or whatever for being. Uh, walking the line that you do, which you, you're walking a lot of lines, actually. So you're in a, a teacher in, in a, uh, are you in a public school? Yeah, public high school. Yeah, so that's, uh, it's got its own, own set of, uh, rigors, right? And parameters that you have to maintain and whatnot. And then you're in the fakeology community, which is, that would be enough. And then you're also in the Muslim community. So that's a lot of, a lot of different, um, ways that you're probably <laughs> balancing. And it's, uh, gosh, it's funny because I, I'm, I've been involved in this, this posting I've been doing at FDR with these, these philosophical eggheads that fancy themselves to be critical thinkers and they're all atheists and stuff over there. And it's like, like them. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just, it's, it's so ironic because they're so religious about the thing that they do, even though they don't really realize that their behavior is kind of, it's very similar and like observing things for things that not, aren't, necessarily provable but you you know whether it's a culture community and um it's the same thing and they're just e- equally resistant but you're you're really um you're wearing a lot of hats it's it's very it's commendable well thank you so um there's one last one thing i wanted to talk about because you had talked about um like the in the muslim community in the Netherlands. What what country was that back there? Yeah, well, in Europe. The, the people I talked to yeah. that had come over from Amsterdam, Amsterdam. they had that. Yeah. Yeah, and they said the the men make all the decisions. Well, that's that's really an economic thing, right there. That's not in, to any one group. I know several different cultural groups. That's economics. When the man makes all the decisions, it's usually there. There's not a lot of money in the house. There's not a lot of decisions to make, but you know, the more money there is, the more egalitarian the couple seems to be. And I think this is true in a lot of places in Chinese culture and Indian culture and a ton of little and ignorance too, because you know, a smart man knows he needs that woman on his side. You gotta work together as a team if you can get stuff done. You don't want to make her your enemy. <laughs> it's not gonna help the family. Well, you know, it's it's interesting, and I don't. Are you familiar with Karen Strawn? from girl writes what have you ever seen her podcast no i haven't she's she's so she's she's just such a fly in in the ointment for so many people but she's sort of been involved in and countering the current uh fem feminists i guess which um which i don't i don't necessarily think are, are probably doing a service to society at large but she has a lot of um she's i think she's got an anthropological background so she has some familiar with historical um family structures and whatnot and so a lot of the 
the things that the feminists are taking credit for overthrowing and giving women's rights to and whatnot and freedoms are not necessarily in all that beneficial. If you really break it down and look at it in the terms that she's talking about, like, so if, if, if the, in t- bygone times, if a, a woman wasn't on a deed or she wasn't, necessarily have sharing the equal um, economic um, status with the household of the husband. It, she was like protected from if she were to go out and say run up a lot of debt or something. It would be like it would all the responsibility would fall on the husband. It wouldn't be her. Mm-hmm. Or if there, you know, for, for some re- reason, she was always shielded from any kind of liability. So, and and I think I think that she might have mentioned that in regard to. Sharia law, and that's why I think I had that uh, as a the question right under that. So, like, a lot of people now, to, and she was even talking about how, like, if um, in a case of domestic violence, if they had the whipping posts, they would community would tie a man up, they'd beat his wife, and they'd beat the crap out of him and whip him. But then the next day, he could go back to work and keep making money. It wouldn't be like he'd be in jail for a month and out of the economic landscape. He'd 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 have to be right. right <laughs> Where's this at? Who does this? Oh, there's yeah, in bygone days, you know, and like before women had the the quote rights that I mean, not that I think that. Was this like in Europe? Is this in China? Where's this well, supposed well, to? I, I think I, I had the impression it was in like colonial America, colonial right? America. So. It, you know, it's corporal punishment, and the and the idea in her, the way she puts it, is that you know that if you arrest, a, say, if it's a, a single in, income household, and a man is making all the, you know, bringing home all the bacon, and he he beats his wife, if if they're not going to be immediately separated, which my argument would be that you know, anytime a woman is hit, then she should probably take off, uh-huh. like the next day, but if they were going to stay and, and then putting a guy in jail for however long, if he's the sole earner, it's not really doing any favors to the wife, right? Then she's kind of stuck out in the cold. Maybe she doesn't, you know, yeah. she has got a family or whatever. So like in her, her idea is that it's more um, protective to the women of that time, even though, the feminist would say, "Well, then she was oppressed, and she you mean to whip her." It. So, no, no, they're not her. The 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 guy, you know, it was like. So there's just some some things that are sort of, and there's she's got a whole series of oh, stuff okay. on these antiquated views that that feminists have done a lot to overturn. But if you really look at them the way that they worked in the family structure there, it was actually a lot of it was more about protecting the women and her being whatever this integral supportive role. And I, I kind of, I think that in a lot of ways, it's not like I'm so retrograde about a lot of this stuff, but I think if you have a, I don't know that it's been a huge advance for our culture as a whole to have this dual income situation where you have men and women, but working now basically to maintain a similar standard of living that they might've had 30 or 40 years ago when only one person was working and it was generally the man, but 
that allowed the woman to pay a lot more attention to the kids and and affairs around the house and stuff. And so there was a little bit more division of labor within the family that I think helped probably make families stronger back then. And I have the attitude that, uh, that was a, probably a, a good bulwark against too much state encroachment, but they, they've sort of managed to, to drive a wedge in there. And, and I think part of it has been that you know, they could sell it as, Hey, why do you want to be stuck in the house over a hot stove all day with those nasty little kids when you could be out fulfilling your dreams as a receptionist or <laughs> whatever, you know what I mean? So, but that's, and, and I, and I, I kind of, sort of started going down that road to say, well, does, is there, um, do you have anything to say about Sharia law? Is that part of your, your day to day? Does it mean anything to you? Do you, do you, uh, cause I've heard, I've heard on the No Agenda show they talk about in certain places in Britain where they have Sharia courts and stuff. And I don't, I don't know anything about that. I have no idea what that means. So I was just, curious if if that means anything to you right well i guess how do people resolve disputes what do they do they have customs right certain customs they expect everyone to behave in a certain way right so in is in islam like when the a man dies you know his inheritance is supposed to be split up a specific way according to the quran just i mean the crown has a lot of rules in it about how people should behave. So really, you're kept super busy behaving the right way if you're a Muslim. That's like I'm going ISIS. No way. There's so much stuff to do if you're a good Muslim. You don't have time for that nonsense. ISIS can't be real. But the courts resolve these issues. So the Sharia courts, like in England and stuff, you've got a lot of Muslim immigrants. They still have the same disputes as anybody would have. So why not a court to address their specific issues? Now, a lot of times there's like mediators who get involved to help. You know, there's a lot of, what do you do when a man's hitting a woman? And so, you know, maybe you can find relief within the religion also to help. And these courts kind of help do that. The Sharia law courts to get the guy back on track. Maybe don't wait, you know, don't hit your wife. That's not right. You're supposed to bend the rib, not break it. <laughs> One of these <laughs> Learn how to do that, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would be promoting that too very heavily. But um, I guess just to to settle their dis- it's just a dispute, a way to settle disputes. That's it. That's it. What do we? The same thing we would use a court for. Like I sued a guy um, for a couple thousand because he reneged on a contract. That's it. I went to my court. Yeah, it's fine. So maybe within the Muslim community, it's the same idea. You have a dispute, you take it to someone who's going to help you settle it. Did did the court work out for you in that instance? It did. It did. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Because yeah. well, the guy was an idiot, so that helps too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you that, like, and it's interesting because some of the material that I get comes out of Facebook and my in the Facebook, I have. Friends, I don't think it probably matters. I'm, I'm sure I would imagine everybody's the same. But if you have friends that are conservative, they're going to fall on a particular side of that big bowl line that's drawn down the middle of red and blue. <laughs> and they're going to be reposting 
all the conservative things and right. and the inverse applies to the liberals, right? And they're going to fall into one of those two camps. It's, at least that's the experience of my friends on Facebook. Right. But the conservative ones that have this fear, they'll post, repost videos of, of a group of people in masks caning a woman on the ground because she's been unfaithful or something. Or I would say that's not gonna, real. That's not real. What are you going to do when all the courts are Sharia and they're cutting hands off <laughs> people right and left <laughs> for, you know, beheading people and that's, you know, that's their whole. The Sharia law said behead, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's why, but I think it's important that, that people, and see, that's, that's another thing too. I, I, I say about the, like the Bible, if you go and you look at all, there's, a lot of passages in the Bible that say that prescriptive, uh, whatever punishments or reaction to non-believers or whatever is, is pretty severe. If you really look at that original text and non-believers, yeah, killing all the non-believers. And if, a, if your daughter is raped and then she has to marry the man that raped her, oh, and there's all this kind of okay. slavery guidelines and all this stuff in there. And it's like most people nowadays, they kind of just sort of, well, yeah, that's in there, but we, that's not really how we're going to manage our affairs. We today. just ignore that part. We kind of ignore that part. And so, and I haven't looked closely enough at the Quran to know whether there are things like in there, but I doubt that people are going to say, well, that's the way we got to handle this situation because they, they, like you said, it's a cultural thing. So, but I think the conservative people that are concerned about Islam, they're like, well, these, they're sleeper cells. All the people, no. they're just waiting till they can rise up and institute the Sharia courts and we'll all have to convert. You know, I should, we should, I should show people, I should do a post on Clues Forum about what a Sharia court is. Because it's actually really sad. Most of the people who have to, who don't have money, go to the Sharia court because it's free. That's what it's for, used for in Britain. It's a free service for people who have no other place to turn and are Muslim. And if you have money, you get your own damn lawyer and settle it. The only people using the Sharia court are the poor people. So I wish everyone could hear that. The only people, poor people, that they're just poor people. They, cause they can't afford their own lawyer. Really, you're going to risk your billions, your millions of dollars on a Sharia court when you could get a really nice lawyer and make sure your money's safe? No! Only poor people go to Sharia courts. Well, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm from a real anarchistic, uh, mindset so i i'm i have a lot of suspicion of the state in general so if there was an alternative for me to resolving a dispute that didn't involve the state i might you know want to consider that first just because a lot of a lot of my experience with the state has been that they they always have you know have their handout too mm-hmm. so like if you get and, and the same with lawyers if you get the lawyers and the courts involved whatever the pie is however big it is that at the end, the people that are in dispute, they're going to give a big chunk of that to the courts and the lawyers. They're not going to get as much, however it's resolved. So you have to be, I mean, that's why, you know, people that get divorced and they have this, this sort of, um, you know, no quarter attitude toward their, their former 
spouse or whatever. It's like, gosh, it's such a, it's, it's a, a real boon for the lawyers and stuff because mm-hmm. they can just, they can get in there and, and divide up a, a nice chunk of that pie and the people that are, they're so, um, emotional. And I'm sure a lot of times they probably have good reason, but it's like, gosh, how much, how much better off you'd be if you were able to just get past the emotion and, and come to some sort of peaceful re- resolution on your own without involving the courts and the lawyers. Well, know? they try that. I mean, if, if you want to go that route, it's like small claims court, you have to see a mediator first before they let the judge talk to you. So they try and resolve it outside of court a lot, you know, with them. That, but, and like my sister's just got a divorce. Boy, they just, the courts push the mediator. Don't see the judge. Go see the mediator first. You got to see the mediator first, which is, I think it's a good, good step, at least. I mean, yeah, marriage marriage is tough because there's so much history and baggage and emotion and stuff. Right. It's tough. um, Well, Kay, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I, um, I really appreciate it. I might, if, if you want to continue it at some point, um, I don't know if we covered everything. I think I, I probably got a lot of information now. Um, I don't, um, it is, how is, you're in, on the, the West Coast, um, the North, Northwest Coast. Is there like a pretty large, Muslim community. I I don't really see too many people here in the Lower East Coast. So, if, although my friend said he he met a bunch of people at that one mosque, so I guess maybe people are more spread out, you know. Um, so if I wanted to go meet some people, is there some place that you're familiar with in the U.S. where there's like large communities that congregate and or do they just kind of spread out wherever they end up finding a house or whatever, then they go to the mosque however far across town it is or whatever? Right. I guess it just is depends it? on the population. How You know, it's like Texas, there's tons of Muslims. So they have huge, big, beautiful mosques, and they're super organized. And, you know, they have super organized, like they have classes and they have events. And then you have the smaller city you know, like town moss, they're not so organized. They're just for prayer. But we have a really nice one in um, Redmond because most of the people who go to the mosque are employees at Microsoft. So they're educated and they have a lot of money. So they participate not only financially, but also with intellectually too. So they have really cool programs they set up and they bring in guest speakers. And it's it's really a great mosque. And they, they feed the homeless in the city and they do a whole bunch of local stuff too. It's maps. I did, I it, there's a um, clues forum. I did a link on, I think the ISIS post of what real Muslims look like. And so I included a local mosque and a couple other things that people can check out. What would, what do you think a reaction would be if I wanted to go to one, one, one day and I were to just like show up at the door and say, Hey, I'm curious. I want to come check you guys out and see Oh, hello, brother. Yes, come in, brother. (laughs) Come in. Let me show you around. That's what you get. That's it, huh? Yeah. Awesome. All right, Kay. Well, thank you so much. I I need, it's getting late here for me, so I'm going to have to uh, go ahead and and end. But uh, 
Maybe we'll catch up. I have not been, I, I actually have been unfaithful to, to clues by doing all, well, I'm, I'm involved in an altercation now, so. At, at clues or at the other place? <laughs> no, no, at FDR, I'm just like posting and challenging these people and, you know, it's like they'll do everything but actually look at the evidence and offer a counter, uh, reason for why this is possible or what, what, how that makes sense. They don't want to even look at that. They're like, Oh, there would be too many people. All the same old crap. I know how you feel. (laughs) I know given (laughs) evidence, nobody's looking at, I know just how you feel. (laughs) Just go, go look at this. And and I, you know, it's like, I, I post all these pictures of the WTC and the construction and people are, well, it's, it was just glass on the outside. It's a hollow building. And like, it's not a hollow building. The, what? Look at this, look <laughs> at this plane. It was supposed to have bisected like seven concrete floors going in edgewise. And here's a picture of that same plane that's totally trashed by hitting a bird. Now, how does this make sense? And they're like, yeah, there would be too many people. I'm like, okay, whatever. Right. <laughs> <It's> funny. <laughs> That's always, but, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't tuned in too much to, to ab or the audio chat. It seems like that's, I guess that's been kind of dry lately. How do you, you haven't done your show in a long time, right? Oh, I haven't. No, I've been busy and then other stuff. So, but well, yeah, I think maybe we'll, a couple people, you know, if you check it out, there's always someone at least once a week, I think going on audio chat. So, yeah, I haven't seen anything posted. I did notice a new Clues Chronicle was posted about money. Are you involved in that, or is that Yeah, me and Hoy did that. Okay. That so I got. I haven't listened to that yet, so that's the next thing I can get to. Okay. I'm all, I'm all done with the flat, flat allergy. I'm, I'm completely <laughs> <laughs> I'm over the whole thing. I don't want to really hear about it anymore. I've, I've decided that... It doesn't really, really matter, and the whole thing's a giant psyop, and it's just a distraction. And like, enough already. Let's move on. Move on. I like that. Let's move on. Yeah, there's plenty, plenty of stuff for us to get to out there. I got dinosaurs. I'm still working on my dinosaur project. Prove they're fake. I, well, I guess you. I think Luke did a nice post on. I guess the very first one they found, they've admitted to right that it was. A, concoction of whale bones and stuff and so like oh really i I didn't look that up yeah that's that's on the clues it's like one of the early posts and he he puts it out there and i think it's sort of understood in the paleontological community that that was the thing that got the whole ball rolling was a hoax and it's admitted so like I don't know. They get they get stuck in the analyzing of the bones and the cell structures and the cavities and they're like, wait a minute, you don't even know what you have. You have a if it's even real, you got this piece of thing here. They just analyze the heck out of it. They get caught up yeah, in that, I think. They get to put all these like skin on them and make up all these scales and claws and little tiny arms or whatever they're going to do. <laughs> Let your imagination run wild. Right. What color should they, we do the they, skin now? <laughs> they can tell you what they ate and how much of it they were eating. And Oh, and then do you see that one where they, the people are conjecturing about gravity constants may have been different back then because like the, the physical dynamics of the dinosaur bodies don't really work. 
And then they're like, well, maybe there wasn't as much gravity back then as there is now. So that allowed them to have these giant, weird counterbalance tails and stuff. Why wasn't everything giant then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Come on, people. Let's follow this through. They should have been, you know, giant everything. That's true. Well, I'll look forward to, to anything you put out there. I'm always eagerly looking around for stuff. Oh, well, good. I, You know, you should just do audios by yourself. All, I mean, I enjoy interviewing, but you have a lot of neat things to say. I would really... I would tune in. Audio by Farce Value. Well, um, I really, I, I, I listen, I haven't listened, I guess Chris is on hiatus, but I like the way he always seems to have a little, whatever his first hour that he does, he picks some kind of thing that he, he addresses and fleshes out. So maybe if I could put down a list of subjects that I would want to rant about or whatever. Flesh out. Yeah. Yeah. Flesh that out. Get all, I like how he just takes a thought and follows it all the way to the end. Thank you. <laughs> Follow it all the way. I find him to be so amusing. Yeah, me too. Really? Come on, man. <laughs> Are you going to tell me that that is like that? Come on. <laughs> That's good. That's exactly. <laughs> Chris from Hoaxbusters dot blogspot dot com. Is that it? Yeah. I I like to support people, throw that out there just so people, because I'm always looking for audios, you know, for a good hit. So that's a good one, people, if you haven't. Hoaxbusters call. All right. Well, okay. I'm, uh, I'm going to move on. Thank you so much, Kay. We'll, we'll catch up again. And, uh, I, I really appreciate it. Good luck with all your, your situation that's going on out, out there. I hope it resolves. Oh, thank you. Oh, it, it'll resolve. It always Favor, does, right? Favorably to everyone. Oh, thank you. And thank you for calling me up so we could have this chat. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Good night. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.